bow our heads briefly. Uh, Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts to it. Um, may we hear your voice in it and your, and your spirits um, speaking to us, each individually and us as a church. Uh, help me to teach well and rightly. Guard us from error. Lead us into what is right. Give the people who hear discernment, grace to weigh all things and to hold on to what is good. And we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So what, one small development of our church over the years from a very, very informal uh, mom and pop kind of operation meeting. You know, we had our first meeting in our living room and we're there for a good many months. It, but our, our uh, kind of development into something that could really more legitimately be called a church by New Testament standards was when we, we began to actually test those who would serve uh, the church as elders. Uh, you know, the, when we were talking about deacons just last week and this week, but it says, First Timothy 3 says, the deacons, let them also be tested, tested like the elders. Well, well, we weren't really doing that other than just knowing people who were in the church and who might serve. And and so we, we thought for a good many years now, we, we developed and we've used it for a good long time now. We've had a mechanism by which we actually inquire into the biblical qualifications of those who would serve as elders. We have a booklet uh, that uh, outlines the job as presented in the Bible and then a description of each of the biblical uh, qualifications, you know, in New American Standard, I think it says not pugnacious. Well, you know, elders shouldn't be pugnacious. What's that mean? Pugnacious. You know, the, what does it mean? You know, when uh, when Robin and I married, we uh, we both decided to not pledge our troth to one another because we had nobody we could find nobody could tell us what that was. You know, <laughs> so we decided in our vows we did not pledge to thee my troth. We said, well, we both got our troth still. I don't whatever that is. But, we, you know, what does it mean? See, they explain, you know, in our booklet, what does it mean, not pugnacious? King James is not a striker there. And then we just ask a question, you know, do you, do you, do you fill the bill? Do you, is that you? Is it, do you meet this qualification? And, of course, nobody can go through all those biblical qualifications for elder and say, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm, you know, I'm all over all of it. You know, you can't go through it without a sense of humility and a sense of, uh, of where you probably have areas you're stronger in and weaker in things that were your but you know that so we but we ask is this is this you uh, you know over the in case of those people who would serve as elders we we've probably known them a long time but you know you have to face it you know we we could know the church person right and uh we not we might not know the at home person or the at work person or the in private person. You know we've all you, you can't help it. We've all got a church face, and I just don't think you can you can help it. Uh, we've got the, the real and and true transparency is a rare thing and requires much grace and much trust and much love, and and so we inquire now in a good faith effort. <clears throat> to the biblical command to obey the biblical command to test those who would serve as an elder you know, like I said 1 Timothy 3.10 says let them who are and he's talking about deacons here also be tested first so but so the deacons 
Those who would serve as deacons are to be tested. Uh, just to give you one more example of how we kind of upgraded the, our compliance with the scriptures in the matter of elders, the Bible says an elder must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Well, there were a number of years we didn't know, really know an elder's reputation outside the church. You know, They weren't in the newspaper for something bad or something like that, but we didn't know. But we we'll, we'll would say, well, we have to test them. We started asking in that elder kind of vetting process, uh, who are one or two people who know you outside a church context that we can contact uh, about your being an elder in the church. And it's just a way, you know, the Bible doesn't say to do that specifically, but it's a way for us to, like, take a step into, you know, that th they must have a good reputation for those outside the church because we don't, we don't know. And so who can we call, you know, your boss or a colleague or your na a neighbor? You know, who can we talk to? And I... And I, and I call them and say, we're considering so-and-so to be a leader in our church. What do you think about that? Uh, does it surprise you to hear that he's being considered as for a, being a leader in our church? You know, what you don't want to hear is like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> church? Leader? And, you know, say, so what is your impression of his, of his character and integrity? So, so we're, like I say, we're just making a began to make a good faith effort to do what the scripture says and and test the elders and so we've in, and so we've made some strides in in uh, simple compliance with the scriptures and now we see that those who would serve as uh, deacons we started this last week also to be tested in the in the same way uh, Last week, we began to look at this office of deacon, and just, I won't, you know, try to preach that sermon again, but just to really, you know, like put it in one minute, uh, we see the office of deacon as a recognized, commissioned office. You know, the word means servant, it just means servant, and we, we went over this some last week, where sometimes the word appears, when it appears in the scripture, sometimes it should be just small s, servant. Just a servant, not an office, but sometimes it clearly refers to an office, like elder, like a, like something that would be recognized. This group of people who's recognized by the church as serving in this role of, of deacon, and we also we also argued that it, it was men and women, and as it developed, it was normally men. It begins in Acts six that deacon word doesn't even come up, but the but it becomes known as office. That office becomes known as deacon. And, and we also see that while it was ordinarily uh, usually um, uh, populated by men, held by men, is also women. There's women, likewise the women in 1 Timothy 3, Phoebe in, in uh, Romans chapter 16. So we, we decided that it, 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 in a good faith effort to understand the scripture, it's a, it's a recognized commission office of people in the church, whether men or women, whose role is to serve the practical needs of the church in such a way that the leaders of the church, those who lead, the deacons aren't. We talked about differences in some denominations where deacons are leaders, but not here. But in a way that serves the leaders of the church, the elders, the pastors, the teachers, and enabling them to do their work. And just as with the, with the um, uh, elders, there's a, a list of qualifications that they should have. And those qualifications are going to be my focus today. 
I think before we kind of jump into the descriptions, um, when we consider biblical lists like this, like the list of qualifications for elders earlier in 1 Timothy 3, and and like, uh, oh, oh, maybe like lists of spiritual gifts, you know, like there's a couple of lists of spiritual gifts in the in the in the uh, New Testament. There's a kind of a danger to our full understanding of the scriptures when we kind of over-technicalize what we what we uh, read. Now, I just made that word up. I've never seen it anywhere, over-technicalize. But, you know, Christians make up words all the time, and I stand on my privilege of, as a Christian to make up words. We do it all the time, revisioning, missional, unchurched, even backslid. We've been doing it for generations. We make up words. Well, that's my word, over-technicalize. And, and so we, we take, when we see, a, especially in these lists like this, you know, list of spiritual gifts, you know, which are not the same. All the lists are different. And some, in, you know, some have unique entries and the list of qualifications for elders, also the same with list of qualifications for deacons. We, we kind of, in seeking to take the Bible literally, you know, which we should do normally and literally, we, we it's, uh, our, we're wooden in our literalism. You know, it's uh, over strict in our Literalism, like, like in the command, I'm, I'm in danger of like slipping into another sermon here, but I did this, uh, we talked about this some weeks ago, beginning of the year. Like the command to pray without ceasing, like that, in which constantly, because it says without ceasing, we constantly uh, try to figure out how, because the, it says constantly, we, we want to over-literalize that, over-technicalize that, constantly try to figure out how can we be praying when we're not praying, how can we do that? How can we constantly be doing it? Because obviously there you say amen sometimes and you say let's pray sometimes. So there was a, a time when you're not praying. How can we be? And, and some of the explanations of how we can be praying constantly, be it in a spirit of prayer, mood of prayer, background of prayer, you know, that all of life is a prayer. You know, that some of the descriptions of that can be quite beautiful and quite moving. <laughs> but it... Uh, I've argued that what it really means, what it really, really means, what people heard when they said that, is not to be praying 24-7, 365, but to pray frequently, uh, you know, repeatedly. Never make it very long since the last time you prayed. Not these long periods of silence. It's like, and it's like we would use language. He's saying that all the time. He's not saying that all the time, technically. He's constantly bringing up this and that or the other. You know, he's always doing that. You're always saying that. You know what I mean? You know, one of my Greek, one of my Greek uh, grammars is uh, be- at the beginning of it. It says the problem with most Greek scholars is not that they don't know enough Greek, but they don't know enough about language, just how language works. And you do it all the time. So he's always saying something like that. <laughs> Or, you know, he's, he's doing that all the time. He's constantly, you know, so be, in that kind of way, be constantly praying. So that's what I mean by over-technicalized. Now, back to what we're talking about. It would be an interpretational mistake, for example, in these what, what kind of person an elder or deacon should be, to imagine that since elders are not to be, well, your English standard I says, says not violent but gentle. New American standard says not pugnacious. King James says not a striker. It, it, and that's what it says for elder. But you know what? There's no 
parallel to that in the qualifications for deacons. So in over-technicalizing, it would be a mistake to think, I believe, that it's okay, it's apparently, apparently just fine for deacons to be strikers or violent uh, people. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's, 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 it's not in there, but it would be a mistake to, to say that. Uh, also, 1 Timothy 3.11, where, where we're either talking about women who may serve as deacons or the wives of deacons, we think may, women who may serve, uh, it says that they should not be slanderers. Um, it would be an interpretational mistake to say that while either the wives of deacons or the women who serve as deacons should not be slanders, it's okay if the men slander. <laughs> but it, it doesn't, you know, slanders doesn't make the men's list. So what do we, you know, it would be a mistake to say, men deacons can slander because the women deacons or the wives of deacons, if you take that as interpretation, they can't slander. Uh, the uh, the elders shouldn't be violent people, but apparently it's okay if deacons are. <laughs> Maybe that's where demon deacons comes from, the Wake Forest demon deacons. The uh, These lists of spiritual and character qualifications, apparently, because when you really look at them close, are not uh, intended, designed to be absolutely exhaustive, all-inclusive, um, requirements but they're rather to give us a good and solid idea of what kind of people should be serving in this role uh, it's not a, like a legal document that invites us to find the loopholes uh, it's it, it's just in, it's rather it's intended to give us what an idea of what kind of person should be chosen, commissioned, serve as elders and deacons in a church. What what does it look like? How do they behave? What's their relationship with the Lord? How do they interact with them? So rather than go through these uh, like 20 minutes here, rather than go through these requirements, these biblical uh, qualifications for those who would serve the church as deacons, rather than just go through a punch list kind of way, you know, kind of a you know, just take every word and every phrase and talk about what it means. I, I'd rather kind of handle them as in, in groups. Now, you might, there's overlap in these groups or aspects, and you might put different words in different categories than I have. But I, but I, just, just for the purpose of today, what kind of person are we talking about? Characteristics pertaining to one's relationship with the Lord, one big category. Uh, characteristics pertaining to one's relationships with other people, another huge category. And personal attributes, discipline, maturity, integrity that really have to do with what a person is inside, really apart, even apart from their interactions with other people. You know, what are they in, inside, their motivations, their heart. And, and so, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of drawing from 1 Timothy 3, which is kind of the main section where deacons' qualifications are mentioned, but also Acts chapter 6. Which I said, as I said, doesn't use the word deacon, but it really is the beginning of that office. It's the beginning of that function in the church. <coughs> uh, so, what's a qualified deacon like in terms of uh, relationships with the Lord? Well, First Timothy three nine says a deacon. Here, here's from New English Standard Version, the Pew Bible. There must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, with, which really sounds more mysterious than it ought to be. <laughs> The mystery of the faith. 
In the New Testament, you've probably heard this many times before, but just to review, in the New Testament, that word mystery doesn't mean something unknown, something indecipherable. It means something that has been unknown in the past, but now has been revealed. So it's really ironic. When we read the word mystery, we want to think something we can't know, something we don't know, something can't be known. But in the, in the Bible, when you see it, it's something that was hidden in the past, but now has been revealed. You know, the church, for example, is spoken of, and Paul speaks of the church as a mystery. Well, in the Old Testament, it's, it's a mystery. How can the Jew and the Gentile be one? And that's, it's been revealed in the New Testament. you got a New Testament, you know very well how they're made one. Well, the great mystery of the Old Testament spiritual economy is how can a sinner be made right before God? Not just temporarily, between this, you know, from one sacrifice to another, not just for now by the blood of bulls and goats, kind of like a promissory note that gets you by for another month, but how can a sinner be made holy in the, in the presence before a holy and righteous God? Well... What's the answer to that? The gospel. What we celebrated here with the table, with the Lord's Supper. That's how. That's how a sinner becomes a saint. That's how we can come before boldly before the throne of grace. That's how it happens. So one who holds the mystery of the gospel is someone who just embraces the gospel as you know it with a sincere heart. Say, yes, I believe it. Yes, I trust in it. And and what about that? What about that with a clear conscience? You know, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What does that mean? It does not mean that this person who would presume to serve as a deacon should not be aware of any personal sins. Like my conscience doesn't Nothing there, you know. It's nothing, I'm not bothered about everything. I'm right and holy in everything I do and say and think. That's not it. How do we know that? Well, First John, he says he's without sin is a liar. <laughs> and that's a sin. Uh, James, for we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. Deacons and elders and pastors and included. <laughs> We all stumble in many ways. And so holding to the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience means being just unconflicted, sincere in your embrace of the gospel. It isn't a ruse. It isn't just moral posturing. I'm a good person. I go to church. It, It isn't just for show on Sundays. It's not a Sunday-only Christian. He's not someone on Sunday, and then he's someone else completely different at work on Monday. It, it means it means not being like politicians who try to who try to speak Christianese at election time, but they just can't do it right. You know, they just they can't get it. In Acts chapter 6, the men chosen, which we believe is the, the role of deacons, even though they're not called deacons, are were to be full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And once again, owing to Paul, we know what that means. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's the comparison and contrast there. The comparison, don't... It's, be, choose people who are under the influence 
of the Holy Spirit who are uh, seeking to submit to his direction, uh, yielding to his conviction, relying on his indwelling power to overcome what the flesh cannot or will not. So, so basically, a deacon, he says here, should be a real deal Christian. Living not just someone with a fire insurance policy that they went, you know, years and years ago they went forward or they got baptized, they did something, they raised their hand, they signed a card, and, and but a fruitful person, someone who is evidence of being a Christian, living a Christian life, pursuing the holiness of God through dependence on the Spirit's transforming power. So, and and by the way, why would that be important? Because. The role of a deacon in a church is not merely being a helpful person. It's because what he or she does is an expression and function of the body of Christ. What were these? Acts chapter 6, what was their role? Their real role, not just to serve tables, whatever that meant, whether that meant food or we think probably money, you know, the help but preserving the unity in the church. That was their ultimate purpose in that immediate moment. Uh, they're, they're part of a, a, of a team. And they're part of a team. And they're, they work in with the, spiritual, the, the teachers, the leaders. They work in, uh, they, they, uh, one hand washes the other. You know, they enable the leaders. And you can't, you can't be... Uh, you can't be sing from the same song sheet if you're not in the same book. <laughs> and so it's, it's imp- they, they have to be, it, we're, we're not simply, the church as a whole, not just a, a diaconate, but we're, we're not just a community of do-gooders. Um, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're ex- an expression of his work and his mission in the world and in the life of his body of which he's the head. We're a spiritual house of living stones. So he's just saying that those who would serve in this office have to be a part of that. They're not just helpful people who know how to fix things or something like that. Uh, but that's a, basically, you know, deacon's relationship with the Lord. Uh, several other qualifications have to do with his or her relationships with others. 1 Timothy 3.11, which just talks about the women. Women, likewise, must be. It says not slanderers. Uh, not someone who goes around spreading dirt on people. Uh, not someone who falsely accuses others when it suits purposes to do so. Not, uh, another one, very much the same, not double-tongued. 1 Timothy 3.8. Not someone who tells one person one thing and someone else something else. Uh, just to, you know, because that's what they want to hear or something like that. Or that's why they want them to react on the basis of something, but it's not quite true. Not someone who tells one story to somebody and another story to somebody else. Not someone whose statements of truth have some sort of expiration date. I, I'm old. I remember the Watergate days. I remember the Nixon administration. They said, well, what would you say? That, that's not what you said last week. And the, the official, like maybe press secretary, said, that answer is no longer operable. <laughs> Not someone like that. Someone whose yes is yes and no is no. Relationship with others. He must be f- faithful in all things. 
keeps his promises. True to his commitments. He, if he says he'll be there, he'll, he'll be there. He says, she, she says she'll do it, she'll do it. In his family, he's the husband of one wife. And once again, I'll have to say, in our view, we don't want to over-technicalize that so that remarried widows and widowers, you know, were married once, now they're married again. Single people are not qualified because they're not the husband of one wife in some way. You know, if you take it that way, Jesus doesn't qualify. <laughs> and others wouldn't qualify. No. What does that mean? One, it means a one woman kind of man. It means a person who has learned to, is disciplined with himself as a sexual being, someone who's not on the lookout for romantic adventures, someone stable in family relationships, whose home is solid under control. That's what it means. Overall, the deacon, it says, blank. this is a hard one. This is a hard one for us to understand. Is blameless. <laughs> blameless. Which does not speak to moral perfection. It does speak to reputation with those who know the person. Blameless means no credible charge of moral impropriety can be brought against you. What do people know about you? Because they know you. Because they're around you. Blameless means that the people who know you give a good report. That there's no, no credible charge can be brought. Was Jesus, let's talk about Jesus again. Was Jesus blameless in that way? He said, who, who could charge me with, you know, who can bring, who can charge me with some sin? Nobody. But was he falsely accused? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Gluttonous man, a friend of, well, I'm going back in my past, King James, wine bibbers, <laughs> and, uh, uh, right, and sinners. Was he guilty of being a friend of uh, wine bibbers and sinners? Yes, he was guilty. Was he a gluttonous man? Absolutely not. So this blameless means no, no. Uh, Paul talks about himself. He's as a Pharisee. I was blameless. It means nobody could bring anything against me. Nobody who had any kind of real, uh, you know, anything to say besides a false charge. So. So this is what a person is, this is what a person who would serve in in terms of relationships with other people. This is these are the things what he's what he's like. And why why would that be important for deacons? Uh, well, cuz ultimately their role has to do with people. It's they're going to be they're, they're going to be working under people, they're going to be working with people, and they're going to be serving people. And they they just can't be people whose word can can't be relied upon. They they, they can't be people who will, uh, who will help somebody in kind of a sensitive situation then whisper about it to others. Oh, you, yeah, you can't. Even if it's couched as a prayer request. 
they, they can't be people who play favorites. That was a big, Acts chapter 6, that was a big thing. These guys, the problem was a perceived favoritism. Now, whether it's real or not, I don't know. But, but the problem was perceived favoritism. And say, pick, pick some men who, just knowing that they're handling it, you know there's no favoritism going on. You know they're going to be fair with the Hellenistic widows. And so they're, they're, they're the real servants of others. And that's how they are with other people. And then there's this category that I've kind of lumped together as things to go to personal integrity, inner character, things that go to a person, what a person is, who, who a person is, what they're like. And really it seems to me there might be, there's certainly overlap here, but things that really go to personal integrity apart from relationship with others, how do you interact with others, uh, should be dignified, it says. Dignified. 3.8, 3.11, 1 Timothy in other words, what's that? Not just not a silly, lightweight person. And what a what a need what a need there is today for people who bear themselves not in a haughty way, uh, not looking down on other people kind of way, but in a dignified way, as as creatures made in the image of God. And, uh, I mean, you know, there's, you know, I know there's a place for humor and fun. You know that. You got to know that. Um, but in our generation, that that humor and fun have kind of engulfed sobriety and seriousness, and made it into something that's stodgy and dull and, and distasteful. Some of the, I, I'm not going to go into this now because I don't, I don't want it to be about that, but. But uh, I'm about 40 years in the faith now, 27 years or so in this place, in this ministry. And the things I've seen pastors do to prove themselves fun-loving and relatable people, uh, just a regular guy, are not dignified. <laughs> not dignified. Um I think for the first time, I, I wasn't there, but I've seen, heard about it, seen about it, seen it online. I'll give myself just this one thing. 2,000 years of church history, our generation brought a beach ball into the pre, pre-worship <laughs> warm-up. <laughs> the, uh, at the bottom, this life is a serious business. And the gospel is a serious solution to a serious problem of approaching God Almighty in corporate worship in a serious manner. And when you're in need, when you are in need of the ministry of an elder or a deacon or a pastor, you need someone who can understand the seriousness of a situation and weep with those who weep and counsel those in need. Uh, Dignified. Uh, Not a silly person. 
uh, another one of these character inner characteristics. I'm running out of time here, so I'll, I'll fly. But wisdom, which which we can define as a skill in applying biblical principles to real life situations. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 reads this way. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That's two verses side by side. Well, which is it? Do you answer a fool or do you not answer a fool? Wisdom knows. (laughs) Wisdom knows which this situation is. Do I answer this person who's speaking fool or do I walk away? Which is right right now? Do you apply Proverbs 26.4 or 26.5? Wisdom knows. Uh, Ecclesiastes says there's a time to plant, uh, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to seep, a time to, uh, to laugh, uh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, on and on. You know that the birds, right? the, the, uh, you, know that, uh, you know that passage. Well, what time is it? Is it time to build up or time to tear down? Is it time to cry? Is it time to, what time is it? Wisdom knows. Wisdom knows. Wise people know what time it is. A uh, deacon shouldn't be addicted to much wine, it says. Well, which, don't over-technicalize that either. Say it's okay to be addicted to much beer, much liquor, much, or be addicted to a little wine. No, no, it's a, it's must not be a, an abuser, a substance abuser. The uh, uh, not greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, not someone. Well, in our situation, what we want deacons to do, not someone who looks at the benevolence fund and says, "Well, if they should get some, I should get some." Not, not someone. They can't be trusted with uh, with money. Um, and why are these kind of things Im- important? Well, uh, it's it's just obvious. Silly people, substance abusers, greedy people should not be in a position of deciding who gets help and who doesn't, or what should be the priorities. Or uh, they should be people who can be inherently trusted without having to get a give an explanation. Sometimes an explanation might not be able to give him, but you've got to be able to trust the person that he did the right thing. So, let me end here. The, uh, you're not going to hear about this for a while. Um, because, for example, those who would serve as deacons need to be tested. Right? There's a little time in, in there. And some other details about what we want to do have to be worked out. And it could even be, I don't anticipate this will be the case, but it could even be we can't pull it off because nobody says, I'll do it. Acts chapter 6, pick seven men. They don't get they can go back to the apostles. Like, well, we can't find seven men. Nobody will do it. <laughs> nobody has time or whatever. I don't think that will be the case, but you're not going to hear about it for a while. But let me let me leave you with a takeaway that will apply to every one of you who is in Christ, even those who are sitting there thinking, I can't, I, I'm absolutely convinced that when talking about deacons, we're talking about someone else, not me. You know, if you're absolutely, this whole time you've been thinking, this is about someone else, not me, let me tell you how it applies to you. One of the ways. The character requirements that we've been over are just the 
ordinary Christian life lived out over a long time. They're just about Christians who have lived a Christian life. In other words, it's still about you, even if you were never, ever, ever, you know, serving, you know, to say, I'm a deacon. We should be dignified, not silly, lightweight people. Who should be dignified? Anyone who is in Christ through faith in him. Who should be capable of a real seriousness about serious things? Every one of us. Who should not be double-tongued and not a slanderer? Just the deacons? Speak the truth in love. Uh, who should not be greedy for dishonest gain? Oh, it's a, I'm just a regular Christian. That's for deacons. <laughs> Don't over-technicalize it. Uh, everyone. Who should not be a drunk or a substance abuser or some other kind? Who needs to be growing in wisdom? Who, who needs to, be, to have more and more skill about how to apply the principles and the commands and the prohibitions of Scripture to everyday life, you know, like to every situation. Who, sh who needs more wisdom in that? Everybody I'm looking at and the one you're looking at too. <laughs> who holds, who, sh who needs to hold, uh, and I hope you understand it now, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience? everybody <laughs> and certainly everyone who is who thinks of themselves as a Christian as in Christ so whether or not you ever hold the office of deacon the morals and spiritual qualifications there first Timothy 3 they're your calling they're the, the qualifications you're calling you might never be an elder never be a deacon but the spiritual qualifications are your calling furthermore they're your destiny that's where you're headed called sanctification this ever increasing freedom from sin ever increasing holiness from God so take them say deacons that's someone else I'm not going ever going to be a deacon but take them to heart take it to heart take it to heart anyway and aspire to become a yield to him in becoming what God has called you to be let's pray Father in heaven and Jesus, head of the church, master of every disciple, help our church to be what you've called the church to, to be, uh, to do what you've designed the church to do. May this church be a house of the Holy Spirit in which he's free and unhindered to lead, to guide, direct, empower for your glory and our blessing and the blessing of others. Give a spirit of obedience to you, a spirit of faith in you, a spirit of peace in your will for each of us and, and all of us together. Increase faith in this place. Increase faith in every believing heart and let the beginnings of faith stir in anyone who remains outside of Christ but is open that they might be saved and our joy would be made full. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.